Welcome to Kidney Essentials, a podcast for medical students, residents, and advanced practitioners at the University of Colorado and beyond. We will start with introductions of our hosts. Let's start with Judy Blaine. So I'm Judy Blaine. I'm an associate professor at the University of Colorado, and I'm a nephrologist there. My areas of interest are glomerulonephritis and podocyte cell biology. I have no conflicts of interest. And my Twitter handle is at JudithBlaine1. Hi, I'm Sophia Ambruso. My, most of my friends call me Sophie. Um, I am an assistant professor at the Denver VA and on faculty at the University of Colorado. Uh, my main interest is medical education, but I do like to dabble in some clinical AKI research. Uh, I have no conflicts of interest, and my Twitter handle is at S-O-P-A-L-I-L-L-A. I I spell it out because I don't know how to pronounce it either. Okay, well, and my name is Sarah Young. Um, I am on faculty at the University of Colorado, but I was in private practice for 13 years prior to returning to academia in October of 2019. Um, my areas of interest, I'm also board certified in critical care medicine, so I'm interested in critical care nephrology, and I'm very interested in lupus nephritis. I have no conflict of interest, and my Twitter handle is at slim3204. So before we get into our first case in kidney essentials, we want to start with a few housekeeping notes. Sophie, can you start us off with our mission statement? Sure. Our mission statement is that we want to make nephrology more accessible and less intimidating. We want to provide concise nephrology pearls in each episode to help listeners understand renal pathophysiology. And we're going to make nephrology sexy one episode at a time. I'm already thinking about our t-shirts. We haven't even made a full podcast and I'm already thinking about the (laughs) t-shirts. And for our legal disclaimer, um, Judy with her amazing accent. Yeah, this will sound very good in a sort of fake British accent. So this podcast is for educational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts. This podcast should not be used as medical advice or for treatment purposes. So do your own research and don't get mad at us. This is basically what we're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So in order for our audience to get to know us a little better, we're going to start off with a little icebreaker fun question. And since we're all moms, the question this podcast is, what is the weird renal mom thing that you do? Sophie, what do you do that's weird? So I have um, an 18-month-old and a -a four-and-a-half-year-old. And my four-and-a-half-year-old is already watching his salt intake. He says, Mom, I can only have a little bit of salt, right? say that's right son (laughs) teaching them young (laughs) and Judy how about you so um, if my kids have any pain or get injured I have to beg them to take ibuprofen um, and they often refuse because they say it'll harm their kidneys (laughs) (laughs) I actually like a lot of ibuprofen not a lot but I do use it quite often I use ibuprofen too I mean what could really happen exactly (laughs) They have good GFRs, right? (laughs) Prostaglandins are overrated. All right. Well, let's, uh, so I, 
I have kids too, so this is my weird renal mom thing that I do, which is that whenever my kids don't feel well, I ask them how many times did they urinate and what the color of their urine is, and they find this extremely intrusive and inappropriate. <laughs> I tell them everyone, every mom does that, but they it's claim normal. that that's it's normal, but they say normal. that it's not. Mom is a nephrologist, sure. <laughs> All right, well, let's start off with our case. So I have the case today, and the patient is a 35-year-old male who presents with a serum sodium of 120 milliequivalents per liter to the emergency room. The emergency room calls you saying, I got this guy with a serum sodium of 120, and I want to admit him to you. Sophie, what would you ask the ER physician and why? Um, You know, I think the thing that I always start with... um at least with a serum sodium of 120. However, that's not that shocking as far as serum sodiums I've seen. Um, But probably the first thing I would ask is about their mentation and other signs and symptoms of hyponatremia that would make me um, concerned and actually change how I might manage them. Okay, so what are some of um, the signs and symptoms that a patient might experience with a serum sodium of 120, Judy? Well, it really depends on the patient's age and overall physical condition. So probably in a young, otherwise healthy guy, um, he could have a serum sodium of 120 without really having too many other symptoms. But in the elderly or people who are malnourished, symptoms of hyponatremia with a sodium 120 could include fatigue, headaches, altered color perception, maybe some nausea, and a little bit of confusion. Okay, great. And for some reason, I don't think we know why, but for some reason, women are more likely to be symptomatic with mild hyponatremia than men. One of the great benefits of being a woman. So the ER tells you that this patient has a mild headache and is complaining of fatigue, and they want to give him two liters of normal saline for hyponatremia for presumed volume depletion. Sophie, um, what questions would you ask the ER um, before you give the okay to give two liters of normal saline? (laughs) I would say, why are you giving him two liters of normal saline? Is he volume depleted? And their response is, you know, we see a lot of hyponatremia in the ER. It's always volume depletion. We give them saline and it all gets better. Yeah, I think this is where we kind of like to pump the brakes a little bit. So I'd say, what is his blood pressure? Okay, so his is 140 over 80. Is he tachycardic? He is not. His pulse is 80. Hmm. Doesn't sound like he's volume depleted. No, it certainly does not. And I guess, you know, what's the urgency of giving him the two liters, I guess, is the question. Absolutely. Um, And one of the other things I always ask about is, if someone's coming in with hyponatremia, I want to make sure that they know whether they're urinating or not. So this is a person, I know everyone's against Foley's nowadays, but hyponatremia is one of those cases where you want to Foley sooner rather than later, um, just so that you can monitor urine output. Amazingly, I actually have a really hard time getting people to purchase, you know, to purchase this idea. They just like, they don't understand why we want to put a Foley in them. I know there's such a culture against Foley's because of nosocomial infections, but um, we're like the one service that when we say you need a Foley, I feel like they should listen. Yep, I totally agree. Um, I would ask one other question too, which I 
failed to mention earlier, but does he have edema is another big time question that would totally change which direction I would go in here. Right. So, yeah, because if he has heart failure and that's the cause of his hyponatremia, obviously the two liters is a really bad idea. So uh, they didn't really look to see if he had edema because they're the (laughs) ER. (laughs) But I guess we'll have to check when he comes back up. Um, Judy, how do you feel about the two liters? Is there urgency? And what are you worried about them happening if when they give the two liters of normal saline? So I would definitely recommend to them they do not give any normal saline. It really sounds like he is not at all volume depleted. And if for some reason he did have a high ADH state, then giving two liters of normal saline could actually drop his sodium significantly and put him in a lot of trouble. Right, so hyponatremia is one of those things that unless you have an absolute urgency to treat, which is really only one scenario, which is when they're seizing, right? In all other scenarios, you have time to figure out what's going on, and you could hurt someone before you establish the diagnosis if you start to give it um, fluids not judiciously. So, Sophie, what questions um, regarding his past medical history would you want to ask the ER about? I think I would probably focus on two things. Um, one, a medical history that would be targeted on a number of things. Um, psychiatric, that would certainly influence uh, a number of things, water intake, etc. Alcohol intake, um, whether or not they have underlying cirrhosis, heart failure, or kidney failure. Um, so I do want to know kidney function. And then the last thing is just a history about the water intake. What was he really doing? Okay. And... Um... So the ER is not really sure about the history because they, they're just trying to triage here. Um, but they, um, they are willing to send off some labs before he goes up to the floor and you can get a more um, specific history. What labs would you ask the ER to send? So um, as I mentioned before, uh, kidney function is important. So I'd check a serum creatinine uh, and then I'd also check a urine sodium and a urine osm. Okay, so why is kidney for- function important, Sophie? Um, I mean, it's number. It's important for a number of reasons, but uh, basically our kidney function will determine how well we can dilute or concentrate our urine. So if we don't have kidney function that as, is as good, we won't be able to do, dilute our urine as effectively. Okay, and what, what does the urine sodium tell you? The urine sodium, at least in this scenario, will let me know um, basically this patient's volume status, so whether or not he's volume replete or volume depleted. So if the urine sodium is greater than what, what what would this urine sodium that you would want to see to reassure you that he is not pre-renal per se or volume depleted in sodium deficit? Probably a urine sodium to feel good about it greater than 20. Great. Okay. And what does the urinosm tell you? The urinosm is also a reflection of uh, how dilute a urine is or how concentrated a urine is. So a urinosm of 50, which is about as dilute as we can get our urine, is good, especially in somebody who is hyponatremic, um, because that means that they're getting rid of that water. Um, In somebody who was hyponatremic like this and has a really high urinosm, that means the kidney is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, because the urine is very concentrated. So just to summarize, the appropriate urinosm in someone who has a serum sodium of 120 would be less than 100? Absolutely. 
Okay. Judy, what lab, what other labs would you like them to get? So I would ask them to get a plasma osmolality. And this is actually a lab that often gets forgotten about with hyponatremia, but it's really important because um, in order to have true hyponatremia, you need to have a low plasma osmolality, uh, which is generally less than around 290 milliosms per kilo. Um, and what, what, what it tells you if they have a low plasma osmolality is that the person truly has hyponatremia. If they have a high plasma osmolality or normal osmolality, it means there's something else in their plasma that you are not measuring directly that, or you might be measuring it directly, but it is actually interfering with the measurement of the serum sodium, and it's making their serum sodium look low when it actually is not low. One of those things could be glucose. So um, people who come in with extremely high glucoses, the high uh, plasma glucose pulls water out of cells into the plasma and dilutes the serum sodium and makes it look low uh, when it actually is not really low, it's just diluted. Um, and then the other lab I'd ask them to check is a thyroid stimulating hormone and also a cortisol level. Uh, the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, we'd want to know to make sure that the person isn't severely hypothyroid because for unknown reasons this can cause hyponatremia. And then adrenal insufficiency can also cause hyponatremia, so we want to make sure that they have a normal cortisol level to rule that out. Great. Okay, so the ER has agreed to send all of those labs for you. And um, the creatinine comes back, and his creatinine is 1, his urine sodium is 100, and his urine osm is 75. So, Sophie, what does that mean to you for this patient? What do those values suggest for this patient? So I'll start with the creatinine of 1. I think, uh, you know, creatinine... Um, we can essentially assume that that's a normal um, creatinine. So this patient has normal kidney function. Looking at the urine sodium of 100, um, that is well above 20. So I feel fairly confident that this patient has no evidence of intravascular volume depletion. And I certainly wouldn't want to see any two liters or three liters, any sort of volume (laughs) uh, given to this patient in the ER. Uh, The urine osm is 75. So that's pretty darn close to what our maximum dilution is. And when we're less than 100, we feel fairly, we feel fairly confident that there is no ADH on board. So his kidneys are working really hard to get rid of that water that he has on board. So if the ER had said to you at this point when the urinosum came back, no, no, this guy has SIADH, your response would be, I can assure you this is not SIADH because the urinosum is 75. Is that correct? Exactly. Great. And then the plasma osmolality comes back at 248. The TSH is 2, and a random cortisol is 25. Judy, can you help us interpret those lab values? So his plasma osmolality is really low, which means he has sort of true hyponatremia. And his plasma osmolality is actually pretty close to what you might expect it to be. There are no other hidden things causing um, his plasma osmolality to be elevated because normal plasma osmolality should be about twice your serum sodium. So for a serum sodium of 120, the plasma osmolality would be two times 120, and then you add in some osmolality um, for 
um, his, for BUN. So his BUN is, is 10, so it would be 10 and then to convert it to um, the correct units, you divide it by the molecular weight of BUN, so that's 10 divided by 2.8. And then um, his, you also correct for, or you add for um, uh, serum glucose. So his serum glucose is 80, and if you divide that by the molecular weight, that's 18. So the total, his total plasma osmolality would calculate out to 2 times 120 for his serum sodium, plus 10 over 2.8 for his BUN, plus 80 over 18 for his glucose, and that gives you a value of 248. Great, so there are no hidden osms there at all. Yep. And, the, um, and then, are you going to ask me about the TSH, or should I just talk about that? <laughs> so, Judy, <laughs> what about the TSH? <laughs> leave it in, Seamus, leave it in. Um, so, his TSH is 2, which is completely within the normal range, so we know he's not severely hypothyroid. And then his cortisol comes back with amazing speed, and that is 25. And that his random cortisol is also not low, so we know that he is not adrenally insufficient. So, we've ruled out the other possible causes of uh, hyponatremia, which could be due to hypothyroidism or uh, adrenal insufficiency. Yes, for our audience members who are medical students, you will never get a cortisol from the ER by the time the patient comes to the floor. <laughs> but we can all dream. Yeah, I do want to highlight just one thing, only because I didn't think we quite emphasize it. 248 is an incredibly low serum osm. So... 290 to, you know, is closer to a normal range. So 248 is very low. Absolutely. Okay, so I named the patient after one of our graduating um, fellows. <laughs> so the patient, Matt, <laughs> comes to the floor and you finally get to meet him. He is accompanied by his roommate. You ask him how much water he drinks in a day and he says he really likes water and he wants to flush out his body he, is ha he has not been feeling well, so he thought if he just drank more water, he would flush all those bad humors out and feel better. This is a total Colorado story. Um, his roommate, Ryan, who I named after one of our other fellows. <laughs> not a true story, though. Not a true story. <laughs> his roommate, Ryan, chimes in that he has never seen anyone drink so much. Ryan had bought 10 two-liter bottles of seltzer water for an upcoming party to celebrate their fellowship graduation. And Matt had <laughs> emptied them in 24 hours. Judy, how much water is too much water? So 20 liters is a lot for anyone to drink. Um, generally, we say uh, if you have normal kidney function, you can drink up to about 20% of your GFR. Um, and if you calculate Matt's GFR, depending on which formula you use, you come out with a value of around 100 mils per minute. Um, and we know that there's 1,440 minutes in a day. So 100 mils per minute times 1,440 minutes is 144,000 mils a day. So a normal GFR is about 144 liters a day. And if you take 20% of that, you actually get up, come up to around 28 liters, 28 to 29 liters. So technically, Matt could have drunk close to 30 liters without actually affecting his serum sodium. But usually when, when people report how much they're drinking or when others report how much they're drinking, it's usually an underestimate. So 
Um, the 20 liters is what Ryan knows about, but it's quite possible that Matt was drinking beyond that. Right, so maybe some stashes in his room too that he's drinking. Sophie, do you have enough information to make a diagnosis and what is it? So just to summarize, um, what we have here is we have a low urinosum that's 75. I think that's what it was. We have a low ur, or excuse me, um, a high urine sodium that's suggestive that this patient is volume replete. And then we also have a low plasma osmolarity, osmolality, excuse me. Um, and combined with this history of a patient that is drinking tons and tons, bucket loads, um, liters of water, it's very suggestive of primary polydipsia. Great. So Judy, how would you like to treat this patient? And are you worried about the rate at which you correct his serum sodium? So for this case where um, the um, Matt has clearly just drunk too much fluid in too short a period of time, <laughs> the treatment Matt. is... Can you believe he's graduating? <laughs> you should know better as a nephrologist not to drink 20 liters a day. We actually do teach our fellows that they shouldn't drink that much before they graduate. So, um, so the treatment would be just not to let him drink 20 liters a day. A normal rate of intake is around two to two and a half liters a day. That's plenty. Um, and the thing is, if you s when, once he stops drinking, his serum sodium will start to rise quite rapidly because, as we know, he's making very dilute urine. So he's peeing out a lot of water. Um, and as that continues, his serum sodium will rise if he is not actually taking in a lot of fluid to match what he's peeing out. So if we knew for sure that he had dropped his serum sodium very rapidly within a, about a 24 to at the most 48 hour period, uh, we would not be too worried about him correcting too fast. But often we don't know, so it's very unlikely that in young healthy individuals who are not hospitalized that you would have a serum sodium 24 to 48 hours before they were admitted. So in this case, you would actually have to assume that it might be chronic, that he might have been drinking quite a lot of fluid over quite a long period of time, and his serum sodium might have been low for more than 24 to 48 hours. In that case, you'd actually would be worried um, about him correcting too fast, because if he corrects, more than about six to eight milliequivalents uh, in 24 hours, he is at risk of something called osmotic demyelination, uh, which is a condition where um, myelin comes off the nerves in the central part of the brain and can cause irreversible brain damage. So if, you know, for safety's sake, we usually, if we don't know for sure if it's acute or chronic, we assume this is chronic, and then we want to make sure that the serum sodium doesn't rise more than about six milliequivalents in 24 hours. So he needs to be admitted to a ward that can follow his serum sodium regularly, can follow his urine output, um, and that has the ability to give him back free water if he were to rise too quickly, so an IV probably. Correct. Or you could just get him to drink just a little bit less, not, not a lot less, and maybe bringing him up slowly that way. Any other additional points, Sophie, that you want to make about this case? You know, I think um, one thing to know is that recommendations strangely still say that we don't want serum sodium to rise more than 12 milliequivalents in 24 hours. I still see that out there. I still people quoting, still see here people quoting that. 
And that's really outdated. I mean, I feel like we keep on bringing the number down further and further. When I was a trainee, we were at eight mil equivalents. So really the emphasis of a slow rise of serum sodium is important and no greater than six mil equivalents in 24 hours is a number that we use and we should stick with that. Yeah, and with this guy who has no symptoms, there's no need to rush, right? right. you know, bringing it up. So, um, yeah, so six sounds perfect. That's what I usually shoot for. The other thing is um, that it's very, it's really, really difficult to correct serum sodium perfectly. And so often in the middle of correcting, people overshoot a little bit. And it's fine to lower them because it's still, if you overshoot, it's considered acute. So you can lower them again and then sort of start over. Um, but it's really impossible to correct somebody perfectly. And with very, very severe hyponatremia, like sodiums in the low 100s, um, they have to be admitted to the ICU and you have to check serum sodium um, and um, urine parameters really, really closely and follow the urine output extremely closely. Yeah. With Foley. Right, with the Foley. And then the, the two methods, and this we should probably touch on at a later date in a podcast, but there are two methods to reverse someone down. One is to just give them free water back, and the other one is to actually drop um, how dilute their urine is by giving them DDAVP. Okay, so our take, let's just summarize for our audience our take-home messages. Um, so we hope this is what you've learned from this case which is that hyponatremia is excess of water in relationship to a solute, and the main solute in people is sodium. If your urine osm is between 50 and 100, you can be assured that there is no ADH around, and the kidney is appropriately maximally excreting water. Normal fluid intake for a patient is usually 2.5 liters a day. You do need to know someone's kidney function because... If they have a decline in their GFR, their ability to excrete free water is becomes impaired. So if your GFR um, is low, you're not filtering any water, so you certainly can't excrete any water. Sophie, what are some other take-home points? Um, so we need to know that our plasma, what our plasmoalveolality is, and that is mainly to rule out pseudohyponatremia. Pseudohyponatremia itself refers to disorders in which marked elevations of substances, uh, for example, lipids, result in a reduction in the fraction of plasma that is water and then um, basically artificially lowers the serum sodium concentration. We need to know glucose is normal to confirm it is not shifting of water from intracellular to extracellular space and is actual excess of total body water. And plasma osm... <laughs> <laughs> plasma osmolality, the equation is two times the serum sodium plus the serum glucose divided by 18 plus the BUN divided by 2.8. Uh, for this individual, it was two times 120 plus 80 divided by 18 plus 10 divided by 2.8 with a serum osm or a plasma osmolality calculated at 248. And you know, for me, I never do that calculation. I just do two times your serum sodium. And if you're plus or minus within 10 of the measured uh, plasma osmolality, it's real. Yeah. I mean, the only times it's not is if you have like a wildly elevated glucose or BUN. Yeah. Judy, any other take-home points? 
So usually with hyponatremia, being really good nephrologists, we always ask for a urine sodium. Um, in this case, actually, the urine sodium is not as critical for making the diagnosis um, because we know from the urine osmolality of 75 that he really, Matt really has very little to no ADH on board. Um, where we do need the urine sodium is trying to figure out is the secretion of ADH appropriate or inappropriate. So in conditions of severe volume depletion, where the urine sodium would be really low, usually less than 10, because the kidney is trying to reclaim a lot of salt and water to pump up the intravascular volume. Um, in that case, ADH secretion would be appropriate um, because the person is really volume depleted and they are, um, the, their baroreceptors are sensing this volume depletion and causing them to appropriately secrete ADH. If the urine sodium was not low um, and the patient was not volume depleted and they did, but they still had a relatively high urine osm, then we would say that they were inappropriately secreting AGH because there would be no reason for them to need to um, uh, secrete ADH because they would not be volume depleted. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity in a later podcast to go through a case like that as well. Well, so that ends episode one of Kidney Essentials, where we hope that you have actually learned that you can drink too much water. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. And remember, there are no emergencies in a pandemic. So take time to put your PPE. And we look forward to you tuning in to episode two. Are you sure we don't loof forward to that? All right, Sophie, say goodbye. Uh, bye, guys. Thanks for joining us tonight. Bye. Thank you, and hope you enjoyed this. Some quick, quick credits. Thank you to Seamus Klingsporn for editing our podcast, to Josh Strong for graphics, and, of course, to the University of Colorado Division of Nephrology for giving us our jobs. Hi, this is Sarah. It was brought to our attention after publishing the podcast that we had made an error in the case presentation. It is not possible to have a urinosome of 75 with a urine sodium of 100 millicolons per liter. This was our oversight. This amount of sodium would have led to a much higher urinosome. Sorry for this error, and we'll try to do better next time. Hope you tune in to our next podcast.